to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hello, welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board to the show this week. And of course, we are part of the Overtime Podcast Network. But as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Kevin Laramay. Kevin, how are you tonight? Doing pretty good, Mark. Uh, getting ready for Bahrain this weekend. And uh, after the excitement of Australia and uh, the entertainment of the race and and the new like hierarchy that we've seen after race one, I was all excited. And then the following week, I'm like, yeah, uh, no F1. So uh, I loaded up F1 2018 <laughs> and I've been going around Bahrain uh, a lot of times on my PS4. Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking earlier today just how it seemed like the winter was absolutely endless. And that gap between the uh, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix to uh, finish the year last year and Australia about uh, 10 days ago seemed like it was never going to end. And now all of a sudden here we are second race into the year and it feels like we've never been away. So it's uh, it's great. But just talking about now the, the, the new order of things, I wanted to start right off the top of the show here and uh, talk about uh, ES. ESPN's F1 power rankings. Now, it, maybe it's just me, but I think that these are a little bit, shall we say, controversial. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they, <laughs> they, they gather reactions, and I think that's the idea, right? If you just put Lewis Hamilton first and Vettel second, no one's going to really react. But if you do it like them and Vettel 10, Stroll 6, and the Haas before, yeah, people are going to react uh, and uh, in a very loud fashion. Absolutely. Well, you just mentioned some of the names here. We have uh, Valtteri Bottas in uh, first place, Max Verstappen second, K-Mag and Rogro, the two Haas drivers, third and fourth in the power rankings after Australia, Lewis Hamilton in fifth, Lance Stroll shockingly in sixth, although he had a very good race. Charles Leclerc in seventh, Kimi Räikkönen in eighth, Lando Norris, the rookie, ninth yeah, in the power rankings. Yeah, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Sorry. <laughs> well, he had. I mean, it was a good, solid debut, but was it top ten power ranking debut? No, he didn't make I'm, points. So if you don't finish. <laughs> did he? No, he didn't. Right? He just finished no. outside the points. Well, the the other thing too is like you go here. To, I, I was going to stop here at the top ten. You got Nico Hulkenberg finishing out the the top ten, but you, then you got Danny Kvyat in ten or sorry eleventh, and you have to go all the way down to twelfth to find Sebastian Vettel. So I'm thinking that um, yeah, that seems to me to be a, a little bit harsh. Obviously, he didn't really have a, a great weekend. The Ferrari didn't have the speed that everybody was expecting that that they had during winter testing. They just didn't have it on the track when they got to Melbourne a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, I think Sebastian was a little bit fortunate that um, the team orders came into effect in Australia. Otherwise, he would have probably most likely been passed by his teammate Charles Leclerc and would have finished up a fifth. But I don't know. I mean, maybe, like I say, it's just me. But uh, 12th seems kind of harsh. It seems unfair. And it seems uh, made for a reaction, made to prove a point. Right. Okay. He had a terrible race. Ferrari as a whole had a a bad race in, in when you look at versus the expectations of Ferrari going into the weekend, thinking they're the fastest out of the whole field, and not executing that vision. 
and problem with the car we'll talk about it maybe later uh, that could mm-hmm. be uh, some of the answers why they struggled with pace in the race but and grip especially but uh, i think it's to prove a point that Vettel needs to wake up and start to be the driver that won four straight championship uh just what about five years ago so no it is a statement that uh espn says when they put Vettel number 12 well, let's just put it into context here. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a great for Sebastian. Obviously, it wasn't a great race uh, for Ferrari. But he comes in in 12th in the power rankings, one ahead of uh, Pierre Gasly, who didn't make it out of Q3 and didn't make it into the points in the race, although he did improve uh, somewhat from his uh, qualifying uh, position. He started in P17, finished up in uh, P11. So, I mean, not a, a bad day. But at the end of it, I mean, Pierre didn't bring home any points for Red Bull in his debut. So I, I think that... Uh, you, you have to take these power rankings with a somewhat uh, large uh, grain of salt. But l- let's move on a, a little bit now. Uh, Sebastian himself has had some interesting things uh, to say this week. Um, first of all, he was saying that uh, he believes that six drivers will have a say in the title this year. So basically, the the contenders, according to Sebastian Vettel, are himself, teammate Charles Leclerc. Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas at Mercedes, no surprise there. And then Max Verstappen and uh, Pierre Gasly at Red Bull. And you know what? I hope he's right, Kevin. I think that yeah. would be great because we've been talking over the four years that we've been doing this podcast that, oh, I hope that this is the weekend that we see Sebastian and Lewis Hamilton going wheel to wheel. And we, we haven't seen it happen a lot over the, uh, the the history of this show. We've seen it happen on occasion, but not certainly not every weekend. But if it plays out the way that uh, that Sebastian is uh, saying, at least in the, the, the terms of the, the championship battle, whether that means that all six of them will be fighting it out each, each and every weekend, that would be kind of a dream scenario. But just from the point of view that you could have all uh, six of these drivers from the top three teams switching position and, and really jockeying and really fighting for the world championship, I, I think it's an exciting prospect because legitimately over the past couple of years, it, it's really been Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel that have been the two legit uh, title contenders. Am I right? No, yeah. Uh, only those two. Like if you would have asked the same question to Sebastian Vettel 12 months ago, would he have said Kimi Raikkonen the way he said Charles Leclerc? Would he have said Bodas the way he said it this year? I think Bodas's win in Australia really changed the way he's perceived in the paddock. Now, with a certain attitude, and he already demonstrated that he's quick. So, well, he, he becomes a contender as well. So, we do feel that, for me, there is a potential of maybe six six guys going for the championship. But let's be fair. Three for sure. Mm-hmm. When we look at, still, Bottas won the first race, but to be the man, you got to beat the man, a famous phrase that's uh, mentioning a lot this time of year. And to, to be the number one driver of a team, you got to beat the, the defending champion, the five-time world champion in Lewis Hamilton, right? So if you really want to be considered as a, a candidate for Valtteri Bottas, you need to put a few wins together before Lewis Hamilton is not considered number one in that in that team. But so him, Vettel for sure, but uh, Red Bull, Max Verstappen, of course. Gasly, uh, he has to prove himself too. So for me, there's three big contenders, but you never know. When you get to three and four contenders, 
the numbers can grow quickly, Mark, because you don't need to just win every race to be the world champion. When there's three and four, uh, there's going to be battles, which means there's going to be accidents, and which means there's going to be uh, different things, and eventually rain. So the most consistent of those drivers, the guy who always finishes fourth or fifth and third and fourth and third and second, might be the one that takes the championship at the end of the season. So the one that is the most reliable and is consistently scoring a high number of points is going to be the champion. And yes, you're going to say it's an easy recipe, but it might mean you don't need to win every race this year, but actually finish third and maybe be a little bit more conservative will give you the championship. Well, you sound like you're reading out Lewis Hamilton's playbook from uh, 2018 because, let, let's be fair, it wasn't until uh, basically right up uh, before the summer break that, uh, that that Lewis really started to assert himself and really had that uh, – really start to show signs that there was – that the, the the momentum was shifting more in Mercedes' favor than it was uh, for Ferrari. And secondly, or, or, of course, in the second half of the season, that uh, swing of momentum was was very much uh, in favor of uh, Mercedes. And and that's really when the championship uh, really started to fall apart for Sebastian and, uh, and, and for Ferrari. But it was really like a lot of those um, results that Hamilton got, especially when uh, Vettel was the one leading the championship in the first half of the year, just scoring the points and, and getting what he needed. And that really set him up, uh, you know, really, really well in the latter half of the season. I know by the time that the season was all said and done that it was uh, it was not as close as it was, uh, obviously, uh, earlier in the year. But it's uh, it's a marathon. It's it's not a sprint in Formula One. And I know everything is, uh, you know, <laughs> goes at 15,000 RPMs and 200 uh, miles per hour plus on the track. But when it comes down to it, I mean, it, it really is about um, being reliable or being consistent and, and having a reliable reliable car and just uh, bringing it home and, and getting those points that you need because you know, <laughs> when you have 21 races that start in March and goes right to the end of November, it is a really, really long season. But uh, Kevin, I just uh, building on this uh, this theme of the uh, the, the six um, world uh, championship contenders that Vettel's talking about, I, I think that Obviously, four of them are pretty legit, and two of them are, are a little bit kind of outsiders or maybe not at least at this point in the season, I mean, uh, it's a little bit hard to really make too many big judgments and spot trends only one race into the season. I mean, we can start talking about trends and patterns probably in about a month after we've got three, four races under our belt. But I mean, obviously, the the, the four main contenders for the title will be Vettel himself, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, and Max Verstappen. And uh, Pierre Gasly and Charles Leclerc are, for me, outsiders at this point. I mean, Charles obviously is is a very, very talented driver, and a lot of people are, have um, been watching him, and we've been talking about him for the, the, the last year and how he impressed in his rookie year in, in, in Formula 1. And certainly very much like some of the other younger drivers that have really made headlines for themselves, like Max Verstappen over the past couple of years. It really looks like he's got all the attributes to be a Formula One world champion. Now, whether or not he can make a, a real shot at it in his first year driving for the big team, driving for Ferrari rather than the junior team, if you want to call that, or the B team that uh, that is uh, Alfa Romeo Racing, that, that remains to be seen. But of course, We've only seen one race. We've seen less than two hours of action 
on the track so far this year. And uh, we'll just have to see how it uh, unfolds. But I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit before we get uh, away from the subject of these uh, drivers. And I just want to read out uh, an email that we got from uh, Richard LeBlanc. And uh, he's uh, from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, Richard, first of all, says, great show, guys. Uh, question, do you think that Bottas's victory was engineered by Mercedes to make amends for Russia 2018 and ensure that Bottas started 2019 with a competitive mindset? And he goes on just to, to list a, a couple of points, uh, one being that Hamilton did not fart, fight too hard on the, the start to catch up. Hamilton was not disturbed that despite qualifying, he was soundly beaten by Bottas, and the gap between the two was extraordinary given that the cars are usually prepped with slight parity uh, or prepped with parity with a slight edge uh, to, to Hamilton. I think those are some very, very good points because I remember thinking at the, the, the time at the end of the race when, uh, when Bottas uh, crossed the finish line and the, his uh, race engineer said something to the effect of, well, that's payback uh, for last year. So I was kind of thinking, well, that was kind of an interesting way to, to, to put it. I mean, he's had a very good race, a very good uh, qualifying, a very, very good uh, weekend in Melbourne. So I found it a little bit kind of like odd the way that uh, th- that he said it. I mean, whether or not they kind of engineered something in the background to maybe just said to Lewis, you know, well, just don't push as hard. We we, we owe Valtteri something. And of course, Total Wolf really set the bar high this winter when uh, he was interviewed and said that uh, that if Bottas wants to stay with Mercedes beyond 2019, when his contract is up, he's got to perform as good as or better than Lewis Hamilton. I mean, talk about setting the bar extremely and extraordinarily high. I mean, you're, you're trying to compare a guy that's really only got a handful of race wins under his belt in Formula One to a guy that's owns so many records and has five world championships to his name so i mean that's a a real big uh you know benchmark uh, to set for 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 Valtteri Bottas but i mean he does make some good points i mean uh, Hamilton did not fight too hard at the start he didn't really fight too hard to catch up i know that he did have that issue with the 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 damaged floor whether or not that really impacted the 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 performance of Hamilton's car over the course of the Grand Prix i mean i guess that's a a matter of speculation uh, from where we're sitting i mean we obviously don't have the uh, the access to the, the the data and the discussions that the engineers and the drivers have, but certainly that was a bit of a a, a disadvantage and. And I think he made a good point, too, that Hamilton wasn't disturbed that he was uh, beaten so soundly by uh, by Bottas in qualifying and also in the race. But I thought it was interesting after the race when he was uh, interviewed in the paddock uh, by uh, Martin Brundle or Mark Weber, whoever it was that did the post-race uh, interviews. And as uh, th- that gap was slowly increasing to, to, to Bottas and it was decreasing to Max Verstappen, who was in P3, it it was obvious at one point said that Max was really pulling in Lewis Hamilton, but when he was asked afterwards, he said, "Well, how was that? Uh, you know, how did you fend off uh, pro- that uh, that challenge from Max late in the race? Was it a problem?" He said, "No, it was it was okay." So I mean, obviously, he had the advantage over Max Verstappen, but uh, certainly uh, Richard makes some uh, very very good points. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for the email, Richard. And of course, if you guys want to send us uh, something, you can tweet us at Scuderia F1 Pod on the Twitter, or email us at Scuderia F1 Pod at gmail.com so uh, what, what do you have to um, think or what, what do you think about some of the points that were raised in the uh, the email there Kevin well the points are the points are great and it's, it's those are all facts but behind those facts uh, engineering uh, a one two and to plan a domination like this I don't think anyone is this good as it's uh, at its job in the world that they, they can't pull it off that way uh, but I think it's a combination of everything 
Uh, I think it's a combination of the comments that you mentioned from Total Wolf in the offseason that lit a fire under Bodice's buttocks, if you uh, permit the expression. And he comes into the season really hungry and uh, wanting to prove a point. There's that. There's uh, the, uh, the aspect of the car being really good. There's the aspect of, on that first turn, uh, you're better off where Bodas was in the in the starting lineup, and he got the right position. And Lewis did not get the best start. And when you hear the start, especially the the, the audio of the start, you actually hear this kid a bit of of Lewis Hamilton's car. So that's where Bodas that's where Bottas won the won the race. And then he just took advantage of it and was able to pull off great laps and got the best lap. So his performance, especially with all those best laps, like uh, during the entire race, he had the fastest lap in Australia uh, mm -hmm. at a few different times. And I think that he is truly deserving of this win. And I think saying that uh, Mercedes engineered it takes it away from him. And I think he doesn't deserve that. And uh, I do agree that it looks that way. But I think this one is full measure for, for Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, and absolutely, he looked uh, very hungry for that one. I mean, it, it was uh, very evident uh, just in the way that he was driving, but also his attitude where he really wanted to um, get that extra point for the for the fastest lap, and uh, he wanted 26 points at the end of the day and, uh, and not uh, 25. Anyways, Kevin, time for a very quick uh, break here for a quick message from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back in just a few moments. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the show, guys. And moving right along, so we're we're going to kind of build on this theme uh, from the uh, the Australian Grand Prix. And Dr. Helmut Marco, the big wig, the big boss at Red Bull Racing, thinks that cooling problems were was the issue that held Ferrari back at the uh, the Australian Grand Prix last week. And uh, certainly, uh, it's interesting to hear some of the the other players in Formula One coming out and, and talking about that because I think it was certainly a, a big surprise for a lot of people. Uh, well, I. I mean, obviously, Sebastian Vettel was one. Uh, I mean, when he asked uh, during the, 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 the race, why are we so slow uh, compared to uh, what, what they thought that uh, that they were going to be? And certainly that uh, that advantage in the performance that they had with the SF90 was uh, or during winter testing was just not there the uh, the entire weekend. So it, it is interesting. And um, well, Marco, he goes on to, to to build on that. And he said that not only was it quite clear that Ferrari underperformed in Australia, but in his opinion, 
also the Haas cars didn't, despite a pretty decent result. Obviously, Roman Grosjean had the problem uh, with the, that that left front wheel and was forced to retire in the second half in the Grand Prix. And Kevin Magnussen came home in a P6. But uh, despite uh, Haas and Magnussen being uh, fairly happy with that uh, result in their first Grand, Grand Prix of the year, it's interesting to hear somebody like uh, Marco say that um, that there there is an issue or there was something not quite with the Ferrari power and uh, it was uh, not just limited to Ferrari themselves. He didn't really say anything about Alfa Romeo, which of course is the other team that's uh, powered by Ferrari engines, but of course they did have some some issues themselves and um, uh, Raikkonen of course had his tear off going to the brake duct, which uh, caused a bit of an issue, and then Giovinazzi and his, uh, well I guess his wasn't his, his debut, I mean his real debut came a couple of years ago, but his Alfa Romeo debut had problems uh, you know, getting hit on the first lap so that kind of uh, really um limited what he could do uh, during the race but certainly it, it really makes uh, makes you wonder what's going to happen at uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend whether or not Ferrari can get those problems sorted out because over the past couple of years this has been a race that Ferrari's done pretty good at yeah they've done good at that race uh, a bit earlier in the history of the hybrids and they've done <laughs> well at the race over the last couple of years but for me it's going to be more of a question if they can tune it properly too, right? Because the question of the suspension and the grips that uh, was lacking that uh, Ferrari was talking about, you had the cooling problem. So like maybe the, the Ferrari engine has a a temperature, like to keep the temperature control problem. So all those little details makes it for a lot of things to get right for the next race. And as much as Vettel and others in Ferrari are are confident that it will get it all right two weeks after that they didn't, I think it's not going to be as easy. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ferrari might be might find themselves third in the hierarchy in Bahrain behind uh, the Mercs and uh, the Red Bulls. Yeah, well, you know, it is interesting. I mean, if, if you look at the past two years, this has uh, been a race that Sebastian Vettel has won for Ferrari. And then uh, 2014 to 2016 was uh, won by uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, and Nico Rosberg in the Mercedes. But I mean, before 2017, I mean, those first three years of the turbo hybrid uh, era was that, I mean, those first three seasons, it was all Mercedes. It, it was Rosberg and Hamilton and either was usually going to be one of those guys that were going to win the race. I mean, 2017 is when Ferrari really closed the, the 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 gap to Mercedes and became more of a, a legit contender and last year obviously they were pretty much on, on par uh, during the large portions of the season the, the the two teams but you know that being said I mean it is I, I think if you're Ferrari concerning that uh, you you went into winter testing and everybody's kind of looking at you as the as as the pace setter as the the guys that have the car to beat and then to have that uh, real anticlimactic first Grand Prix of the season where the car just did not have the speed. It, it just uh, did not handle well. It just did not do anything that it really hinted at during those couple of test sessions at uh, at Barcelona back in February. And it's, it is... You know, it, it is funny. Like I was just going to say, is there such a thing as a must-win race? <laughs> Only second year, or sorry, second race into the season. Considering how earlier we were saying that uh, Formula One, uh, it's a uh, it's a marathon rather than a sprint. But certainly, they they have to correct themselves and, and find out what yeah. the problems were. And Mattia Bonato, the the team principal at Ferrari, says that you know they're expecting to see improvements in the the corrections that uh, that they've made to the car and uh, or since 
since Australia, I should say, uh, because if they don't, I, I very much agree with you, Kevin, that they could find themselves again, not only behind Mercedes, but also behind the the, the, the Red Bulls. And I mean, yeah. we, we saw something last week in Australia that would almost been completely, I would say, um, not uh, unprecedented, but certainly not expected over the past couple of seasons and and that's uh, a a red bull <laughs> passing a ferrari down uh, the the straightaway so certainly there is pressure on ferrari that uh, you know coming into the year that they had such uh, high expectations and they delivered during preseason testing to to get these problems sorted out before it becomes too much of a hole or they get into too much of a slide and then you know they find themselves really at a disadvantage after only a handful of races you mentioned must win of course, it's not a must-win, but I think it goes together with what we were talking about earlier, the fact that there there might be six potential driver title contenders. Well, you need to set the tone. You need to set the tone for the season. You need to either strike fear in your opponents the way Valtteri Bottas did last week, or you find a way to show people that you're there. You find a way to show people that you're going to be a contender. Either you fake the fact that your car may be not as fast, but you find a way to get there, or you cannot just uh, do multiple mistakes in the first weekend of the season because people dismiss you. Like, look at ESPN, right? No, exactly. You need to be in the conversation, and you need to be looked at as a strong candidate. And to be quite fair, over the last two years, look at Sebastian Vettel's reaction on, on the track. Uh, his DNF, his accident, his lapse of judgment on a multiple occasion over the last two full seasons with Ferrari, and you find yourself in a situation that uh, you're, you're going to need a certain amount of luck during weekends for Sebastian Vettel to win races now. His car is going to have to be as good, and he's going to have to make sure no mistakes from his part and a good start, and make sure that the other car is the same, because if you have six contenders... There's more variables in the equation, and there's more than one guy you have to look at at the start. There's five others, so all those things combined, I think it makes it even more difficult for Ferrari to get it right in the second Grand Prix, but they kind of have to, because they have to set the tone, and they have to show that they are willing and ready for a fight in 2019, because they, they have a huge one on their hand. Yeah, you you make a, a number of really good points there, Kevin, and uh, I wanted to sort of build on that. And of course, you want to be in that conversation because we've seen over the past couple of years. I mean, there are obviously some of the the, the problems that Vettel had were down to uh, bad judgments or, or or actions on his part. And there were other situations where the team didn't really put him in the best situation on the track, or they let him down in a pit stop, whatever it might be. And then there were other situations where it was a combination of the two. But I guess the the the, the the way to really kind of boil it down is to say that when push has come to shove, that it, it never is, it hasn't really worked out for them when they've had to be super aggressive. They've always seemed to come out on the losing end. I mean, just kind of go back to even like the uh, the, the U.S. Grand Prix last year. That was just a, another one of those moments when uh, Vettel was uh, fighting with someone. I can't remember now if it was Ricardo or if it was uh, Verstappen, but, you know, they, they tangled. He's the one that came off uh, worse for it. So I don't think that you want to put Sebastian in a situation like that where he's forced to push and maybe have to fight and be a little bit more aggressive uh, on the track because I think that really mentally last year at times that uh, that he wasn't in a, in a good place and I think that just the pressure of driving for Ferrari and and all those 
expectations that uh, that that come with it. Uh, I think it really got to him at times last year, and I think that there were just certain situations that so it just sort of got away from him. So, you, you know, you you don't want to dig yourself that uh, that hole too too early in the season because then you know you're you're fighting back and then you're going to be in the same sort of situations that that, that we've seen. And well, you know, you, you don't want it, it's one thing to have a car that's uh, that that's not uh, as competitive or as fast as you thought it was going to be, but you know, compare that to a car that is is quicker than everyone else's. But you know, you've you've dropped too many points in a number of races. Now you're having to fight harder than others, and uh, other people know that you need to make up those uh, those points. And uh, you know, you might be willing to take uh, you know more risks to try and make a pass or something like that. And and the other teams might uh, try to take advantage of that. So it really is yeah. a, a big race for them. I mean, at least from the statement that I, I mean. They, they don't want to be appearing to, to to be going backwards. I mean, if they lose up uh, or if they say Sebastian loses the the, the race in a straight up battle with uh, Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas or whatever, I mean, that's one thing. But to, to lose the race or end up like in P4 like you did in Australia just because the car just isn't dialed in and, and, and performing the way that's expected – that's something that completely different. And uh, th- this really is, I-, I think, a year that that I think they want to make up for the disappointments that they had last year, because I- I'm still going to I'm still going to beat that drum and say that uh, 2018 <laughs> was the season that really got away from Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari. And I mean, they it'll be remembered won. as Hamilton's fifth world title. But I mean, it really could have been Vettel that was the first of five. They should have won, and Ferrari should have won the driver, the, the constructors championship. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you take all, all the DNFs and the mistakes and the, of the team and Vettel, you had all the points and all the points that they would take away from Hamilton by him winning. Well, yeah, Vettel wins last year, but he didn't, yeah. and uh, he doesn't have it in his trophy cases because close is just not good enough. You have to win. Uh, second, well, you might as well be last. Uh, famous words from Ricky yeah, it was, it was Senna's, but if you're second, you're first of the losers. <laughs> yeah, that was Senna and Ricky Bobby of uh, Talladega Nights. His father actually mentioned that uh, if you're not first, well, technically, it's if you ain't first, you last. So you're last. If you're not first, you last. <laughs> there you go. Classic words from uh, Ricky Bobby. So, words of oh, wisdom. But... Not really. Not really. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, maybe we can get a little bit of shake and bake going here on the uh <laughs> Anyways, moving along to uh, to Honda now. So they are actually eyeing their first win with Red Bull by the summer. Now, I don't know. This seems like a pretty big statement. But if you, uh, you you hear a statement like that coming from Honda, but then on the other side of the paddock, you have um, you have Total Wolf, who's uh, saying that they have enormous power just by the the, the fact that they uh, passed a Ferrari in Australia. I mean, it really shows how much that uh, that that uh, Honda has really gained over the past uh, couple of uh, seasons, the past yeah. couple of years, and it really kind of makes me wonder. Well, you know, did did McLaren bail too soon? I mean, it, I have it, a theory. That completely thing, a different story, right? Yeah, I have a theory, Mark. I have a really good theory, and I think it's if you read between the line, and if you've actually listened to F1 Drive to Survive, and you listen to how Christian Horner mentions, well, with Honda, we're going to have a partner that is willing to work with us in the specifics in the specs of how the engine integrates with the chassis and how both together can make the car better i think this is where it makes all the difference 
Not that the Honda engine is that good. He he, it might be great. Well, it might be to the same level, if not just a tiny bit better than the Ferrari one, maybe right now. But for me, it's more about the integration and how with the aerodynamics, how this engine fits really well with it and how it's conceived, designed in a way to benefit the other components of this car. I think that that's my theory. That's my hypothesis of why the Rebel Honda partnership is off to a good start. It's because those two components were made to work well together and they're taking advantage and they're gaining maybe 5, 10 horsepower more because of just how those two pieces go together versus how last year Red Bull had to basically do with they received the engine in the box and have fun, my friends. Now it's they're involved in the design of their own engine with their Honda partners. And I think that's why we're seeing the great results because Toro Rosso ain't that fast, but the Rebel is fast. Absolutely. And I want to touch on a couple of those points and we'll do that just in a moment uh, when we come back from this very short break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Kevin. Well, I want to pick up on a couple of points that you uh, made just before the break just now. And, um, well, first of all, I, I think that you you raise a very good point in what uh, Christian Horner said, that, uh, that, that Honda was going to be very much a partner to Red Bull and that they were going to work on designing a complete package. Because you know that when you're getting a car that's designed by a team led by Adrian Newey, that it's going to be a pretty good car. It might not be great, but you know it's going to be pretty, pretty good. And if you can get a good engine and a car that's good or great, then there's a potential for some very, very good things to, to, to happen. And certainly Honda seems to have really ironed out some of the problems that they've had with the reliability and the power issues. I mean, let's not uh, forget that it's not too long ago uh, that uh, that uh, they were powering the Mercedes, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> they'll never power the Mercedes car. That was almost a bit of a slip there. Yeah. The McLaren cars, I mean, go back to the um, Canadian Grand Prix two years ago, the one that, uh, that you were at in your hometown there, Kevin. And just uh, Fernando Alonso, he, uh, I think he made it what about three quarters of the way through the race, and then you know the the engine let go, and Fernando just basically hops out of the car. I think he goes and sits in the grandstand for the remaining <laughs> uh, part of the race. But that that was at that point, it was pretty obvious that there were some pretty big issues going on. And uh, of course, as t- as time went on, it became more apparent that it just wasn't the Honda engine, but it was also the uh, the, the McLaren itself and the cars that they were designing. But then you get this sort of this in-between year. Okay, they're gone from McLaren now. They've got, gone with the Renault engines. They've done the switch over to Toro Rosso, and which basically becomes a test bed. And then you have Red Bull, who is probably in a, a very enviable uh, position. If you're any other one of the eight other teams in the uh, the Formula One paddock that uh, that is a customer for Formula One engines. Obviously, Mercedes and Ferrari design and build and power their own cars with their own engines. But they, Red Bull, that is, have a very unique position where they have 
the the Renault engine in the back of their car, which is they've had for numerous years and in a previous era were very successful winning multiple driver and constructors championships. But in the turbo era, uh, hybrid era, just uh, wasn't working for them. But then they get this gift of having Honda engines in their in their junior team and then be able to see the telemetry and the data from both engines. And then just be able to, to to match them and see, okay, do we have apples and apples here or apples and oranges? What is the potential? What is this engine doing? What is that engine doing? Okay, this is what we know we have in the relationship with the Renault, and we know that it's uh, toxic. And, uh, you know, we have a surreal, a, a beta bull saying that, oh, yeah, that Horner guy, we just tuned him out uh, years ago. And then on the other side, you've got all the people at, uh, at Honda in Japan saying, you know, we're going to work with you. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to be more of a partner. And like you say, they are making a difference so far and of course it's based on a, a very very small, <laughs> small sample, sample. Yeah. one race <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting i mean in formula one you don't often see claims like that being made especially from honda i mean you just always maybe make the assumption especially the japanese being the way that they are a little bit more yeah. conservative a little bit more reserved so you have the people at Honda coming out saying that they're targeting wins with Red Bull this season. You've got to be pretty sure that uh, that they've got some uh, th- they've got some real solid data and uh, some something really to back that statement up. Yeah, they're using something to make that statement for sure, and it's not confidence, and it can't be their past either for Honda, especially not the recent history. So for sure, they're looking at okay Verstappen and the way he drives is his his uh, his speed. And his his pace during the race and how uh, you remember how, how we talked about this last year where Verstappen was driving like nine out of ten, which is very fast. But over the course of a season, if you always push the car to its limit or you push your 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 skills as a driver to its limits, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna hit your teammate. You're gonna hit a few other cars, and you're gonna miss some points. But if you dial it back to eight out of ten or an, uh, seven or seven point five out of ten. And you keep it there and you improve the car. You you drive the car in a way that's it, it's consistent so you can get the right variables in your equations to figure out which part are actually getting better. And you focus the development. And if you focus the development with Honda and with Verstappen mm-hmm. and you see that you can gain a second here or there and you project yourself three races down the road in a track that you know you can perform well, that's exactly what Honda did. And that's why they think they can win is because they checked out all those variables. They know that their car is going to be a bit better at this particular track, whichever it is. They have one in mind. And they think with Verstappen consistent driving that we can predict, maybe we predict actually that we can win outright in about four or five races, maybe in a Monaco situation where it has been a a good place for Red Bull in the past. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if Honda had actually Monaco in mind when they made those statements. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, uh, Ricardo won there last year when they were still obviously powered by the Renault. And uh, th- certainly, if you can get out front in Monaco and stay there, then certainly that is to your advantage because you can effectively be the leader of the pack. And as long as you keep it out of the Armco and uh, your car doesn't die on you, because obviously the attrition rate at Monaco is uh, second to none in, in Formula One. It's uh, obviously a, a track that is very demanding on all of the cars. And I think that's why for Ricardo, it was just that all that much more frustrating and disappointing in 2016 when he was leading that race and he went into a pit stop uh, for a tire change but his uh 
pit crew didn't have any tires for him. But uh, <laughs> that's something uh, different. But, uh, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, uh, Honda, you know, they, they've had a, a very good debut with Red Bull. And now they're they're saying that, you know, they, they are targeting wins uh, this year. But then on the the other side of that discussion, that they're, they're saying that uh, their results with, uh, with Red Bull are going to be a key part of their decision to remain in Formula One after 2020 because i mean it's going to be a brand new uh, playing field or a level playing field for everybody because it's going to be a completely renegotiated and re-sculptured reshaped landscape whatever you want to call it uh once the the, the current concord agreement uh, comes to the end or comes to the end at the end of next year so i, I mean obviously i think that uh, that is an obvious statement to yeah. be a little bit redundant there. Well, <laughs> but I, I mean, I kind of understand though, because it, it all depends. Yeah. And from the rumblings that we heard, like you never know, there, there might be more engine manufacturers after 2021 than right now. And yep. uh, just Aston Martin has been talked about. Uh, remember last year, the beginning of the season last year, when Aston Martin took a bigger role in the sponsorship of Red Bull, they also mentioned that uh, they, down the down the road, it might be more than just our name that's involved with the car or with Red Bull, but uh, actually like our, our, our capacities of making cars, of making engines, and maybe with the new Accords after 2021, it'll be mm-hmm. more cost-effective and maybe a smaller manufacturer can afford to create engines. So you might see two, three more engine brand appearing or just teams like Red Bull maybe deciding to really partner with Aston Martin in a way that they can create their own engine and call it Aston Martin, but it would be a Red Bull engine. Or the same could be said for another team. So depending on those rules and the new accords are what Honda has in mind too because they might be better off having their own team at that point because Red Bull might make their own their own engine with uh, mm-hmm. what they learned because there's one thing too, Red Bull... With their open partnership with Honda, Red Bull's learning things too. They're learning how to maybe make engines. So who knows if uh, Aston Martin will benefit from that knowledge in two years' time. But that wouldn't surprise me at all. I've seen it happen before from Williams Renault to Mika Combe to something else because <laughs> the rules changed and you can get a very good and performant engine for half the cost, the Mikacom engine caught half of the cost of the other one, and the engine itself was good too. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of variables, and that's probably why Honda's not looking further than 2021, just because it needs to reassess how it invests in F1 if it does as a partner, or hey, maybe they'll come back as a team, even though that was not a good idea at the beginning. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, when they came back into Formula One several years ago with McLaren, they were years behind everybody else because, I mean, prior to 2014, all the other uh, Ferrari and Mercedes and uh, and Renault, they'd all been developing and working on this technology for a number of years. So Honda was very, very late coming to that, uh, you know, coming to the table and getting involved. And of course it, it didn't work out. I mean, it was nothing short of disastrous in those first couple of seasons with McLaren. And, you know, honestly, I mean, they've turned it around in a, in a fairly short amount of time. And I think that that last year was more of a development season for them. And uh, obviously I think that, uh, that, that the uh, Toro Rosso's were more, test cars for them uh, rather than uh, than than anything else i mean they took a number of grid penalties throughout the years just because they were just pushing the car to uh, or the engine as much as they could to to find out what they needed to know and what they needed to do to uh, to to bring that engine that that program forward but you know, 
saying though that that read the the results that they need to get or that they're going to get with Red Bull is really going to make their decision uh, for post 2020 is is a pretty short amount of time because I can imagine that they're going to have to design on their future a lot earlier than the very last race of uh, the 2020 season at uh, at Abu Dhabi in November 2020. I mean, I can't imagine that uh, that you know they're just going to say, okay, well that's it, we're done because. You know, that would leave Red Bull kind of like high and dry. I mean, they'd have to know at least half a year in advance because, I mean, with the, all the discussions that they had uh, with uh, with uh, with Renault last year, I mean, there was a lot of pressure coming from Abitabul uh, in and around, I guess, uh, June, around that time, around the time of the Canadian Grand Prix. And it, it really came down, I wouldn't say to an ultimatum, but pretty much he was saying, you know, we need to know what their what their plans are within the next week so we can start um, you know making sure that we've got uh, you know everything we need in order to make sure that we can supply three teams for 2019 and that of course being the Renault factory team and uh, and Red Bull potentially obviously that didn't work out and uh, and McLaren so uh, I, I'm thinking that that they're going to make their uh, decision on what they're going to do in 2021 I would think obviously by you know the the beginning of the summer next year and of course it's got a lot more to do than just what's happening with Red Bull on the track it's also going to have to do a lot with the the, the discussions that Formula 1 has with the the teams and the other stakeholders and everything that uh, that they're going to discuss moving forward so it is interesting and uh it's 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 drama, right? And you would think that it, it's kind of an interesting statement uh, to to sort of come out and almost contradicts to a certain extent the statement that's saying that they're that they're they want to start uh, winning races or they figure they'll be in that position in, in uh, several races from now this year. But then on the other hand, they're already talking about their future in F1. It's like, well, wait. I mean, we've only seen one <laughs> one race together with Red Bull, but I guess that's uh that's Formula One. Yep, that's Formula One. Uh, just in the same vein, talk about Renault, Mark. Uh, Renault saying that uh, maybe cutting the cost or having a cap to limit the overspending is more urgent than the 2021 tech spec. And yep. I can understand that, too, because when you think about it right now, Formula One is like the championship, the the Constructors' Championship and Drivers' Championship, you're rewarding investment in your car. Yeah. Okay. You're not rewarding engineering. You're not rewarding engineering. You're not rewarding great people doing great job. Yes, of course, at the end of the day, it's always great people doing great job. But when you have a lot more money, you have a lot more, like you can have double the size of the payroll than the other team. So, of course, you're going to yield better results. So it's not like you're rewarding ingenuity. Ingenuity, you're you're rewarding having money to invest in in your project. But if you cap the spend, if everyone can only spend so much, it's how you spend it, or it's how you go around the spending limit and find new ways, new technology, find new solutions, new ideas, an ideology of development. That it's not just about money, but it's how to better use that money. And that would give a chance to team like Renault to bridge the gap a bit quicker. So that's why Abitabul probably is agreeing with this. But also would give team like Haas, who we know they have a lot of experience in other series, IndyCar, 
and mm-hmm. NASCAR winning those championships, not because of money, because the disparity is a lot smaller in those those series between the haves and have-nots that the have-nots win sometime because of geniuses working behind the scenes. And Haas has no, been known to win races in NASCAR and especially in IndyCar over the year, especially back in the day where it was Newman Haas and it had the best damn team in IndyCar and Champ Car back then. So they're used to winning because of great ideas and engineering. And I think F1 should go back to at least on paper trying to reward that part and maybe having a, a, a cost cap, a spending limit will limit the advance of the Mercs and Ferrari and open up the playing field a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And we're just going to uh, step away for uh, one final break. You're listening to Scuderia F1, the uh, podcast that's always up to speed with Formula One racing. All right, Kevin. So uh, we're back here for the final segment of the show this week. And uh, like you say, uh, that uh, Surreal Avitabul is uh, very much on board that uh, that the um, the cost cap should be more important and have more uh, uh, more weight rather than the uh, the technical uh, regulations uh, for for 2021. And I think it is. I think it's overdue in Formula One, to be quite honest. I mean, you see salary caps and, and, and other ways to control spending in other top-level sports around the world. Of course, motorsport is a little bit different because there's a lot more money that gets a, a invested in the development side. But I guess that's no different than, say, investing money in building an NBA team or uh, investing money because you've d- decided to uh, bring Ronaldo or um, uh, Lionel Messi to your yeah. club. I mean, it's, it's just it's, it's a way that money is being allocated. I mean, Formula One is a little bit different because you have to invest money in drivers and in cars. So <laughs> there's a lot kind of going on there. So, here's my theory. You cannot have a spending cap that's too low that every team is at the top of the cap because then it defeats their purposes and it's just, okay, everyone's at the same level. You want it to be big enough that there could be a disparity. Like Ferrari could spend 200 and you can have maybe racing points spending 170, okay? If that's their own personal limit. That 30 million is not going to make that big of a difference. And I think that's how you have to go with it. You have to be okay. You don't need just a cap. You need a floor too. So I would say 125 million a year floor, not dollars. It could be euros, whatever currency is needed. For example, 125 is the floor and 200 is the top. So you would have smaller teams like Alfa Romeo having to uh, overspend a bit, hire more people to get to the 125. And you have Ferrari that would have to downsize to 200. And I think on the track, it would make for the most amount of entertainment, overtaking, competitiveness, and rivalries and drivers. And would it would make the driver a bit more important. I think the solution is, is somewhere in that idea that that headspace yeah it's sort of getting that mix right and uh, and it's going to be a mix between uh you know what what the technical regulations are going to look like for 2021 and beyond and also this uh, proposed budget cap but finally after so many weeks and months of seeming inaction where the uh, the the move towards an agreement for 2021 has been inching along at almost a, a glacial speed the, uh, the the stakeholders and formula one uh did have a meeting ahead of 
of the uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend. So it is starting to go in that direction that the, there are some concrete and positive uh, discussions being had. But you, you can see now when you look now and when I saw it written down that that it was or in black and white that it's been a year since these uh, sort of concepts came out ahead of the uh, the 2018 uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. And, th- and that really kind of blew my mind. I'm like, that doesn't really seem all that long ago. And then it makes uh, perfect sense because I think it was about two months ago, maybe just after Christmas, where Ross Braun was in the media saying that, uh, you know, he, he was encouraged by the discussion that have been taken place uh, regarding the future of Formula One, but he was also frustrated at, at how difficult it had to really, or it had been to that date to really get these discru- discussions really making concrete and, and noticeable um, progress. And of course, <laughs> here we are two, two and a half months or three months, whatever it is now, removed from that statement. And, you know, it's it would be nice to see something in place long before the end of next year but at the end of the day i mean the process does have to sort of work itself out and and, and everybody yeah. has to be satisfied or or dissatisfied enough to um <laughs> commit or walk away from formula one whatever the whatever the case may be yeah but true. i i wonder you know I think that's that's the big difference between Liberty Media and and Bernie Ecclestone. I mean, Bernie would just basically force through whatever he wanted, and his his attitude always was, "Well, this is what Formula One's going to be. You're either in it or you're not. And if you're you you know you can't participate because you don't have the money or you don't have the uh, the the resources and you struggle or you just don't have the uh, the ingenuity, well, that's that's your own problem. Whereas um, Liberty has kind of taken this more. Uh, inclusive kind of, um, you know, open uh, stance to, to everything. And I think that maybe that, I wouldn't say that's hurt them, but it's it's definitely a completely different mindset that yeah. uh, that, that all the stakeholders in Formula One are used to well, in having uh, dealt with Bertie Ecclestone for 40 <laughs> years. So you can see how people might kind of drag their heels and stuff like that because you just don't have that strong personality in, in, in Bernie Ecclestone basically saying it's my way or the highway. Bernie Ecclestone had the best interests of the biggest name of the sports at heart before everything else. Uh, Bernie Ecclestone would protect Ferrari, Mercs, or any uh, entity at that time and space. That and would, Bernie Ecclestone. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, that would benefit him. That's what I'm saying. And for, for Bernie Ecclestone, it was beneficial that Ferrari would have $150 million advance before everybody else. That uh, whenever McLaren went with the Silver Arrows, Silver Bullets, when they were dominating, that was beneficial for them too. So so Bernie Ecclestone had that at heart. And when you know where someone stands, you can work around it and you know how to get things done because you know what he's going to do. Liberty Media is not a single entity. It's not one person. It's a company. It's a company that spent billions of dollars to buy Formula One. Well, $1.5 billion. What was the number? $1.9. It actually was a bargain, if you ask me. I don't have that money, but, you know. Uh, but for, for me, when you just spent amount of money like this, you need to justify and you, need, you, you spent that money because you had a plan in your mind. You had a... You were seeing this deal, even with the amount of money you spent, as a bargain or something that you can grow in the future. You don't spend $1.5 billion without thinking that there's potential to grow that even bigger. To grow mm-hmm. something bigger, you have to make it a bit more mainstream, a bit more popular, and to catch people's attention, to catch the imagination of people, and to make it something, a water cooler conversation. So... 
For this to happen, you need to change things. You need to make it excitement. So that's where Liberty Media comes from is that they don't have, they're willing to listen to fans. We, we've seen this over the year, a year and a half already. They're willing to change things up. They're willing to try things. They're willing to throw things out the wall, hoping that a few of them stick, but not just stick a little bit. They stick big and they revolutionize how we view Formula One and makes this even bigger for them to make more money, which means that Ferrari is not the first priority for Liberty Media, which means any single one of the teams itself is not the bigger. It doesn't matter at this point. We're in a, we're a certain level that you can change any name on that grid of any team. And if you make it a... Trust me, we love Ferrari. Ferrari has an amazing amount of of history. It's the biggest name almost uh, when you think about the reputation. It's one of the biggest names in, in motorsports history. If it disappears and there's a new team next year that won 10 of their first 11 races, guess what we'll be talking about, Mark? We won't be talking about Ferrari not being in Formula 1. We'll be talking about, look at this brand new team who just won 10 Grand Prix and how they're doing things differently. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the performance over name or over uh, other people's interests at heart. They, it's what's best for the growth of Formula One and what would make Liberty Media money. Yeah, you know, also, Kevin, I think it's interesting, too, that uh, not so long ago, uh, Ferrari had kind of softened their stance a little bit because they have this, they get a bigger slice of the pie than anyone else because they have this historic uh, status within uh, Formula One, and, and rightly so. I mean, uh, they, they have been there since uh, day one. I mean, uh, like you say, the history they have is un, un, unparalleled, and if they get a bigger piece of the pie, then I guess that's fair. But also it can't be disproportionately so like it can't be too much tilted in the, in the, in their favor. So in previous years and previous eras, you know, it would always be like, if there's any suggestion about uh, taking that money away from Ferrari or even suggesting a changing the structure would be, you know, met with the, the usual threats that they would pull out of formula one and, and do something else or just not race at all. And, and, and this time it's, it's kind of interesting there there hasn't been that reaction from Ferrari. It's been a bit of a, softening and almost that yeah you know we're, we're willing to 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 look at that and and we're we're prepared to perhaps take a, a smaller share of the uh of the prize money so i i guess ultimately it remains to be seen what what's going to happen and of course this will bear out over the coming weeks and months uh, as this uh, new landscape gets uh, discussed and formed and, and ultimately implemented and how that's going to look for Ferrari and all the other teams and of course at the end of the day I mean it has to be a good deal for everyone it can't be too much in uh, weighted in in Formula One's favor or in the team's favor or in a for a particular team, so it is going to be a uh, quite uh, quite interesting to watch uh, and and see how it works out. I mean, they're already uh, talking about some of the things that they want to do. I mean, we've seen some of these concept cars that uh, that could be uh, you know the a reality post twenty twenty one, but. You know, again, that is is not set in stone, and what looks really cool in a concept drawing may be a long way from what uh, we actually see. So we 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 don't really know. 
Anyways, uh, as, as we start to wrap it up now, Kevin, I, I don't know if you uh, saw this, but uh, Alonso Fernando actually got on uh, Twitter over to uh, over uh, a couple of days ago over uh, what was said about him on the official Formula One podcast off the grid. Now, I, I've been out of town. I've been uh, busy with work the past uh, week or so, so I didn't actually hear this, but uh, basically um, it was said because the guest was uh, former Ferrari president uh, Luca Di Montezemolo, and he basically... Well, I mean, among other things, he uh, basically uh, uh, sort of summed up why he thought uh, uh, Fernando didn't win more world championships when he was in Formula One beyond the two that he won with Renault and specifically why he didn't uh, win one with uh, with Ferrari. And the, the, the quote uh, that was out there was, when he wins, he's happy. When he doesn't win, it's the problem of the team. And that really isn't too much uh, of, a, of a shocking statement. I think that uh, <laughs> at least that's the impression that I always got, that it was very much centered on uh, Fernando so I don't know if that's the exact comment that uh, that was made like I said I hadn't heard it but I, I thought it was <laughs> interesting Fernando actually uh, uh, you know replied to that tweet saying uh, and I quote uh, it had to be a reason not to follow this account until now today you remind me again president never said that so obviously he's uh, referring to Di Montezemo uh, Di Montezemolo and uh, then he goes on to say especially after scoring 80% of the points for our team we race hard together with all our heart and we fought until the last race for the championship so obviously he's got a, a, bis, a bit of a disagreement there but I mean whether that statement was said or not is that really earth shattering I mean no. to me, I thought that was yeah that sounds about right Fernando Alonso seems to me like a great spin doctor. Like, if I ever think about going into politics, I might hire Fernando Alonso to be one of my uh, consultants because uh, he's able to, to spin things the way he wants and however yeah. it best fits his reputation at that moment. Yes. Absolutely. Like, uh, I totally agree. Yeah, like, he was a crybaby his last year with McLaren. Come on, let's call a spade a spade. He was a whiner and complainer. Was he wrong to complain? No, you're probably right. But at some point, it's not going to change. What are you going to do? Complain every single day? Like, get on with it. If you can't deal with it, stay home. Or if you can, well, work hard or do something. So he decided to retire. And now he complains again. You know, it, it is what it is. And if the president, like one of the president of Ferrari that had the most amount of success in the history of that company says that, well, when you were winning, you were great. But when you were losing... You were kind of a uh, not fun to be with. Well, take it and use it and become better with it. Don't necessarily just complain and try to use it on your own. But uh, hey, it is what it is. Fernando Alonso is not going to change how he does things right now. And uh, he's getting ready now. He's got his uh, brand new Renault team. And he's getting ready to do the Indy 500. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, for me, it's, it's it's just a way for Fernando Alonso to keep uh, his name in the conversation. <laughs> so he he does uh, find a good way to to really get himself out there, insert himself into the com uh, you know the conversation uh, <laughs> when it suits him uh, the, the the best, doesn't it? Anyways, uh, just a couple of quick things before we uh, go for the uh, for for this show, um, uh, Kevin. And um, there was news that came out earlier this week that uh, son of seven-time world champion uh, Michael Schumacher, and that that's his son Mick, is going to get his first test for Ferrari in uh, Bahrain on April second. So just uh, after the race this weekend, so that's going to be uh, his 
uh, first uh, test uh, in a Formula One car. So that uh, should be uh, exciting to see how that goes and get to uh, get his feedback. Because, I mean, obviously, that's a big reputation and a, and a big name that, uh, that that he comes with. So uh, it'll be uh, fun to watch how that goes. And, uh, you know, Mick himself is uh, staying rather grounded, saying that, you know, he's although he's looking forward to uh, testing for Ferrari, he's still concentrating more on Formula Two. And that's where his, his real effort is going to be. And, of course, uh, you know, that uh, that's what you kind of expect him to see. But yeah, now we'll see yeah. how long that lasts. We'll see if there's a seat available this year. And the team's like, so, Mick, I know you said you were focusing on Formula Two, but uh, we have a seat open for the rest of the year. You want to try Formula One? Yeah, we'll see if he says no or yes or no at that moment. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how long he he thinks over that before he actually says yes. How many how many milliseconds passes before? <laughs> well, what do you have to lose? Put yourself, Mark, into the position of a back at the grid team. Okay, you got nothing to lose if you don't have a pay to play driver, a pay to drive driver, and you just cause you you're just foundering. Like, if you're McLaren and it doesn't work out, one of your two drivers, or if Williams or something, if if you're Williams and Kubica keep doing what he did last weekend after three or four weeks, after five, four or five Grand Prix. If you stay the same, what's going to happen? Like, nothing's going to change. You know, no one's going to... But hey, if you put a Schumacher in your car, doesn't matter if you're fast or not, people will talk about you. And maybe that's what a team like Williams needs. So, you know, that, that would be a publicity stunt. And if I'm an F1 team and there's a possibility to do this before next year it gets a full seat somewhere... And you get a chance to be called the first F1 team of Mick Schumacher's career? Hey, maybe that's worth something. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, seeing something and it's not there. But if I'm Williams and it's not working out with maybe Kubica at the, F, uh, at the end of the mid season, what do you got to lose at that point? Put Mick in. Of course, Mick yeah. might not want to because you lose your F2 championship that you might win. But uh, who knows? Uh, for me, that would be a move that I would do. You know, if that uh, situation actually came to pass, it could be for Mick what Jordan was for <laughs> for his father Michael, and that lasted all of what about five minutes before he got slapped up uh, or snapped up by uh, Flavio Briatore and uh, exactly. and Benetton. Obviously, they did some pretty impressive things in their in their time to, together, right? Well, that's the idea bit behind it, right? So why not? Why not have a an intro to Formula One without the pressure? Because you're gonna see. You're gonna sit in a Formula One with the last name Schumacher. You have pressure to begin with, so might as well start it with not the pressure to win, but just the pressure to to not crash your car. It's it's a good beginning, and then you can learn the ropes without having a magnifying glass. That would be there if your first Grand Prix ever is for Ferrari and you're called Schumacher. Which can you imagine the pressure if in two years' time? After Vettel moves on and you have Charles Leclerc as a driver number one, driver number two, Mick Schumacher. Can you imagine the pressure on the kid? Yeah, he needs an intro. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Kevin, uh, just as uh, as we go here, I just want to throw out a couple of stats here just uh, about the um, uh, Bahrain Grand Prix at the Secure International Circuit. So it's going to be 57 laps this weekend. Uh, the circuit length is 5.14, sorry, 5.412 kilometers, a race distance of just over 308 kilometers. The lap record has stood for quite some time here, going back to 2005 when Pedro, Pedro de la Rosa set the lap record of 131.447 it'll be broken it'll be broken saturday 
Sorry. It's supposed to be like after last year, I was surprised that it uh, it was one of those tracks that didn't have the lap record broken considering it seemed it happened everywhere else. So I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to happen this weekend. So uh, the, the three tires that Pirelli are bringing are the uh, the hard C1s, the medium C2s, and the soft C3s. And uh, that makes a lot of uh, sense because it's a, it's a fairly high grip and a fairly high abrasive uh, abrasiveness uh, uh, circuit. And um, it should be one of fun to watch and of course last year this race was won by Sebastian Vettel who uh, beat uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton uh, to uh, to claim all the points and that was kind of uh, an exciting finish uh, to that when you remember how Sebastian really flew in and uh, really reined in Bottas in those uh, final uh, uh, couple of laps there so it's it, it has been a circuit that has suited Ferrari for the past couple of years whether they can do that this weekend remains to be seen, but uh, we'll find out and we'll talk about it next week. And until then, Kevin, that's all I got. I'm done. <laughs> Mark is done. As always, you can follow our Twitter page at Scuderia F1 Pod. You can follow Mark, Mark JR Daily, and myself at Kev Larame. For more info, just look for Scuderia F1 Podcast and all your favorite podcatcher, or look for us on overtime.media. And anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time, for Mark Daly, I'm Kevin Laramie, and have a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.